0: Hey, welcome back to The Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we're focusing on my home turf of Australia. Most of our business at Big Esports, as well as my content, has been you know, focused on people in America and many other countries around the world. But today, we're bringing it home. And here we have a motor racing sport called the Supercars. And Supercars has done in esports and gaming, really what I would call an industry-leading or a market-leading type exercise. They were a sport which before coronavirus was already getting into esports and starting to take it seriously but when coronavirus kicked off not only did they launch their own special online only tournaments they had every single one of their professional drivers in the normal supercars league come into esports and play online in a regular type round and i just thought it was definitely well worth having a chat obviously we've seen other things like MotoGP and formula one and etc get into that space but nobody took it quite as seriously as supercars did so I think you should enjoy this episode. I did too. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an Esports Fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay as you feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all, that's perfectly fine. We're able to offer it up to you for free. You can pay now, you can pay later, you can choose whatever you want. The course is usually $127 AUD. You can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford. Hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term. How are you, Nathan? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries at all, man. It's a, uh, it's a cold, it's a cold time here at the moment. We're just bonding over the the mutuality of, <laughs> of it being freezing cold in both Melbourne and and Sydney at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's um it's a nice change though. I think we've been um, pretty lucky with the weather. It's been unusually warm. I don't know about down in Melbourne, but in Sydney, it's been like 27, 28 degrees right up until only about four or five days ago. So now it feels okay. like it should be for the the weather should be for this time of the year.
0: yeah that's really true yeah unfortunately we haven't had any of that warmth here in melbourne so it's it's, well that's
1: standard melbourne is not it?
0: yeah that's pretty standard melbourne like i said i i escaped tasmania to get here but obviously the cold's following me but for for anyone who's watching live now on twitch and linkedin listening back to the audio only podcast or or watching the vod can you just give us all a bit of information about you personally and your history and, and also what you do in supercars today
1: yeah so um i've got a very deep Motorsport background, I was motorsport before I was television. So my family originally owned and operated a drag racing venue in Western Australia. Um, So my first taste of motorsport was the straight line form. And my father was sort of pretty well known for his his management style and his operations. So we eventually um, got called to come move to Sydney for dad to, to run Eastern Creek Raceway when it was first built. So uh, I came out when I was sort of halfway through year 11 and lived uh, on the property at Eastern Creek for a long time. And I was sort of immersed in a lot of different motorsports, obviously, being on the venue. Uh, and then from there, I was able to, um, to get to meet a lot of different people in, uh, in, in not only the motorsport circle, but at that time, television, because I don't know if you recall, in the, the mid-90s, cigarette sponsorship was wrapping up. And the, the tobacco companies put a lot of money into television, particularly into drag racing. So they were making, you know, some high-end motorsport TV shows um, with a lot of the tobacco money. And I was involved in travelling around all the different drag racing venues in Australia and um, basically got to meet the right people. That started with a junior job in TV, which then ended up in editing. And then I, there's, a, there's a show called Speed Week, which is on... Yep. Yes, which is the longest running motorsport show in Australia. So I was ten years there, okay. and then two thousand five. I thought, you know, I, I really wanted to set up my own business. So I got to uh, meet Murray Lomax. Who was back then was the me for supercars. He basically sort of offered me some editing duties because I was editing at the time, and I left ABE to, to start my own business at a very junior level. Went into supercars as um, as like an audio assistant, and then ended up as a pit producer, and then ended up as the director and now the head of television. So it's been one of those 20-year overnight success stories, if you call it success.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it sounds like it's a good path. I mean, for anyone who wants to do that, you know, personal business, professional development, it, it sounds like you've, you've run the full gauntlet, right? You started from nothing, you know, created your own small consultancy and then where you are today. Is that yeah? I mean, that always been I, the plan? I, I,
1: I always wanted to work for myself, um, which is funny because when I, when I took on the head of television role, I had to go back to being full-time. So I was like 12 and a half years of working for myself. So to go back into a full-time environment was a little bit weird, but I always I wanted to work for myself and I, I did enjoy, you know, my philosophy was people will do business with people they like and I always wanted to make sure that I had good customer relations and, I, you know, that I, I delivered on what I promised. And, you know, um, so, so that was always the plan. I don't think I ever really... When I was growing up, I certainly didn't see TV. You know, I I saw cars, I saw motorsport. You know, I'd probably be fitting tyres and jacks if I didn't sort of get this opportunity, didn't come to Sydney. But uh, it's just the way it's worked out, and it's so what I think. You know, one of the things I've been able to um to benefit from is my my knowledge of, of, of motorsport has really helped me in the TV side. So when I make a a motorsport. Television products. I've got a very strong understanding of what's important in the both the technicality side of the sport and the technicality side of the broadcast. So it, it sort of helped me grow my, my business and my brand.
0: And on a on a personal point too, I've been a been a drag racing fan for a long time in my life, and yeah. have a few friends that you know do some amateur competing and things like that. I, I went back to Portland, or um, well, I went there for the first time to watch some drags over there, which is which is interesting because I hadn't been to a race in many many years. Can you give a quick synopsis? yeah yeah
1: did you see the Aeroflow flow nitro funny cars when you went to portland because they raced there or did you just mm. see some door slammers or something
0: just some door slammers yeah it was it was earlier this yeah. year yeah around the around bushfire season i went there but it'd be yeah, interesting so to learn from you what's what's missing what's missing from the drag racing market why is it nowhere near as big as as any any other racing sport it feels oh,
1: wow that's a really really long answer um <laughs> and very politically charged look drag racing is an amazing spectacle um you know, there's nothing in the world like a top fuel dragster. I think anyone, yeah. anywhere, if you take them to see a top fuel car, whether they love it or hate it, they walk away going, "Wow!" Like it's it's 140 decibels. It's it's zero to 500 kilometers an hour in less than four seconds. Um, there, you know, there's nothing like them as a spectacle. Hmm. But it's got its challenges. It's expensive to run. There's limited um, venues uh, in Australia. There is you know, a different power base of different people that run their own sorts of agendas and, and you know, there's there's different governing bodies. So that's been a, a number of years in development and, you know, it's got a few challenges but still is an amazing sport and, and I still love it very, very dearly and, you know, I, I love to go out and watch it. But it also has the very big challenge of being weather affected. So pretty much all other sports can run when it rains except for drag racing. So, Mm. The moment it even slightly sprinkles, it's game over. You know, there's just too much horsepower. The track just, you know, gets super slick, and um, it, it, you just can't run it. So, so they have that issue of weather. Um, and you know, like I said, I mean, I think it's around ten grand a pass for a top fuel car if if nothing goes wrong. So it's mm. got a, it's got a few challenges.
0: Yeah, you, you're right. It's that, it's that feeling. You know, I took my girlfriend to watch some. I think there was a I think there was one or two top alcohols there but the the like rib shaking heart rattling feeling that you get from you know that beast just flying past you with flames going up in the air like it's something I think you have to experience once in your life before everything's electric
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's four-dimensional you know sight smell sound feel it's pretty amazing
0: so touching on supercars. So, you know, in the, in the announcements that I've done, and I've shared a bunch of content on my LinkedIn, um, and, and talked about it before on various podcasts. Obviously, supercars has been pretty hardcore into esports before coronavirus hit and everybody else followed suit. I want to learn a bit more about the pathway into that. How did you guys decide to, to choose esports? Was it a push internal? Was it a push external? And also, what's your relationship with, with esports and gaming and, and also within supercars?
1: Yeah, so we had our first um, Supercars event, uh, sorry, E-Series event at Bathurst in 2017 and it was an internal push from the commercial team. So they recognised early that it was a potential revenue stream and then the business quickly recognised that it was uh, access to a, uh, a new fan base, basically a younger fan base. So every sport is always looking to reduce the age of their fan base and in our case it certainly worked. We have seen a drop in average age of our fan base and a lot of it's due to um the e series and, and what we what we do with that. So our first one was two thousand seven it was a one-off event. It was essentially a week at the at Bathurst where, where we used the Forza platform. I think it was the launch of I'm gonna say Forza 7. Might have might have just come out. And and whilst we copped a bit of um, bit of Flack because it wasn't true e series, because you know, console-based uh, games, it was it was it was perfect for us because it had a, a proper commercial partner in Xbox, um, and you know, we had Harvey Norman come on board, and we ran two live broadcasts from that. One on the Wednesday night, and then another one on the Saturday night for the final. And it was very successful, and we we saw really big stream numbers. I think the um, both the Wednesday night, which was an all-star one, which included like a, a driver change and and had supercar drivers without gaming experts, which we sort of whittled down to I think it was ten of them from a competition we'd run offline prior. Uh, and and then we ran the final, which was purely the gamers on the Saturday, and that saw big stream numbers, like up against some of our Supercar Bathurst practice numbers, which which was really you know, really warming for us. The second year we stayed on that platform, and we did it with ESL, and we ran uh, an extended extended series and so forth, which was which was you know quite good. But it was pretty clear to us that we had to move to iRacing. I think you know if you're going to get credibility, and I think if you look at any any um, motorsport simulation. Worldwide iRacing is the benchmark. It's, you know, just the challenge to drive the cars, the realistic feel, the setup options, the broadcast integration. You know, we're, we're really fortunate as a sport to have a platform so powerful. Um, and that's not only something that the drivers respect and it's really, really challenging and, and realistic to drive the real cars, but it also have, has all the broadcast tools. So, so in 2019, we teamed up with Gfinity, ran... Uh, another series, which was which was quite successful, and we used you know some of the best um, i racing and, and e series guys in the world, which was really good. So by the time we had got to sort of March 2020, when this all dropped, we'd had a lot of learnings and a lot of knowledge about um, what we didn't didn't want to do and how we wanted to approach it. But in fairness, um, up until that point. I had sort of left it in the hands of the commercial guys and we'd outsourced it. So we had ESL and we had Gfinity. We did handle a lot of the, the production of the, in conjunction with ESL of the 2017 one-off event, but it was always sort of an outsourced product, you know, where we're focused on the broadcast. And when we couldn't brace and, and the television team was sitting around, well, I said, well, there's no way in the world we're going to outsource it this time. We're going to do it. I've got some ideas on what I want to do. So then we took it in-house and that's what you see today
0: yeah fantastic and what's the what's the response been from your commercial partners around that you know were, were they initially pushing for it and you know have you been able to attract extra commercial partners because of the digital nature of what you're doing
1: uh yeah look with the truth is we have um the the jamie black and mitch kane have been really you know from the supercars commercial side and partnership side have been really amazing at, at getting our existing partners enticed to to get on board and deliver more and then that's the success of the series has attracted some additional interest. So, so from that side, it's been really good. But it was never designed to be uh, a money-making exercise. It was just designed to wash its face. So it was, you know, we have to remember why we did this. You know, we, we wanted to make sure that our, our teams, our drivers, and our partners remained on air and that our broadcast partner in Fox Sports and Network 10... Continue to get coverage when we couldn't race so it was very important for us to to be delivering for all, all parties there to make sure that you know that they had content and that the you know the logos on the race cars were going round around and around, and around and our drivers were being being mentioned so um any commercialization of the product was purely to just help fund the production of it essentially rather than it to generate you know sums of money or add to the bottom line it was it was really to, to just cover costs and it's been very successful and we're very happy with that side of it
0: yeah and it, you know a different thing that that you guys have done compared to most others is you know transport literally every single physical driver into the digital realm what's that what's that process been like i there's a bit of technology chaos happening behind the scenes yeah it's it's
1: uh, been a bit like herding cats at times but you know they're all very good at it now um look the, the key thing for me when we started this project, it was important for for people, when they tuned in, for it to look like a supercars broadcast. So I, I didn't want this to be a gaming show. I wanted this to be a supercar show that happened to use a virtual platform to go racing. So when you tuned in, it wanted to look, sound, and feel exactly like a supercars um, a broadcast. So from that side of things... You know, we had to it was very important to get Neil Crompton as the voice of the sport to to um, obviously commentate it. We were lucky enough to get Matt White from Network Ten to also um, co-host and commentate with him and Jess Yates as the host. So we had our key talent factor there, so we tuned in it looked like a supercast mm-hmm. broadcast. Then we integrated our existing broadcast graphics package, um, which we've used our partners Giraffic, Craig Hamill and Simon Evans from Giraffe have come in and and integrated with the iRacing platform to get the timing and the data off it to make sure that it, it, it looks like it. And then all of our camera plans, so the director from the supercars and the main racing, Brian Foreshaw, he, um, he's the director, so I wanted it to look and feel like he would normally direct a race. So so like I said, when you when you tune in, it feels, sounds, looks like a supercars broadcast. And I think if you have a couple of glasses of Pinot and squint your eyes, it, sometimes you get away with it.
0: I've seen, I've seen people comment that quite a lot. And that makes sense that you've explained that. You know, I remember I, I shared like the, I think it was the pre-qualifier or, or just some of the testing rounds. And it was it was really awesome to, you know, hear the V8 sounds and it was good to see. And now I'm realizing that I noticed all the camera angles were very similar. If you ever tune into a, you know, broadcast, you've always got that. Let's have this one in my mind of, of this kind of, you know, diagonal down um, camera angle where someone's going through an S-bend. I remember seeing that exact kind of thing. You know in supercars you see the up close and that kind of stuff what what is the integration with the drivers been like in in the broadcast sense do you get more or less access to chuck them on a webcam or something like that compared to in a normal car because obviously you don't have the noise but also you don't have the fear of, of death of crashing into a wall so are they able to have a bit more conversation
1: yeah well um that that was also one of the key po- parts of putting this together is, is wanting to humanize it so mm. To put as many real faces on screens in boxes or whatever as we can to remind people that whilst you know it is a virtual environment that there's a real person actually controlling the car and the skill required to drive it to the mm-hmm. level that they are is, is actually a real person having to do that so you know it was important for us to number one get all championship drivers involved in this i think that made us unique in the e-series space where you know formula yep. one and NASCAR and any car have done it but they've had special guests and a selection of drivers and i think you know, there's more and more of those guys getting involved in their platforms. But from day one, we went, we've got to have everyone. It's got to be the real championship. Um, so so we managed to pull that off. And then it was, you know, we've got a, a lucky partnership with Logitech. They sent... Um, was first point was to work out who had what, you know, like, because I thought, oh, yeah, sure, all these guys will have this stuff. But there was about 11 of them that didn't. So we had to send um, them wheels, pedals, headsets, webcams to the to the ones that didn't have it and webcams and headsets to the entire field. And then, then it was like okay, how are we going to get this back? So with our partner um, Gravity who do our uh, outside broadcasts, we use their studio. You know, we basically came up with the best way to do this with was a giant Zoom meeting. So we do two different Zoom meetings that we so we can do you know different drivers at a time and select our drivers. And then we talk to everyone through Discord, which was an idea of James Cow and Who's our gaming, call him a game, game master, but he's the guy that runs the R racing for us. And he, James, was involved in our Gfinity series in 2019. So they'd used Discord there with a bit of success. So the audio comes back to us differently. But the very first time we did this, which was, the, we did a full rehearsal on the Monday before the first round. And I remember coming off air well, you know, off here with my head my hands going, wow, if this happens on Wednesday, oh, I'm out of a job because it was the (laughs) ropeiest, roughest, most, you know, disorganised thing we've ever done. And it was not because no one was trying or – but it it was brand-new tech for us. We didn't understand and, you know, someone couldn't log in and someone couldn't hear and the games, the the, um, sessions didn't start or a server failed or whatever. So, anyway, we've – We've done a lot of testing, a lot of work. The drivers now are really organised. They they know when to log in. We do Discord and comm checks and, and line-up shots at certain, certain times. It's all, you know, down to a pretty smooth system at the moment and it's going really well. But I've got a little bit of heartburn because we're going to be running a celebrity series with different sporting codes and basically whoever wants to come play. So there's some NRL players, AFL players, cricketers, all blacks, some other awesome. drivers from other codes and television commentators. And we're going to have to start from scratch. We're going to have to teach all these guys, you know, how to, mm. first of all, how to use iRacing IR and then how to use all this tech again. So that's going to be, that's going to be a challenge in itself.
0: So many people make it around lap one or quarter one, I
1: think. Oh, look. All I can say is damage is definitely going going to stay off for that that race, and we're just going to let them go.
0: Yeah, you always think it's easy to you try, right? Like I went to modem simulators in Port Melbourne uh, when I was a course there. I supplied them with some equipment, and you know I had a zip around a Formula Three. I was like, yeah, this is all right, and then they chucked me in in like a, a Zonda. I didn't even make corner one; just spin out every single time. It's so hard.
1: I um I've been like bought myself my first wheel and pedals and simulator about five, six years ago and was like originally an Xbox guy. And, you know, man, I thought I was head and center. I was all over it. And then in last year when we, when we said, oh, look, we're going to move to iRacing, I, I went, okay, well, I've got to make that move as well. So I'm, I, I'm aware of, you know, what's required. So I, I'm a Mac man. So I, I had to go buy a PC and I bought a different rig and I got all the proper stuff and I, I was like, Yes, supercar, I'm gonna have a go. <laughs> I couldn't get out of pit exit. You know, it's it's really it's really hard. You know, i racing yeah. is is difficult. It's realistic. I mean, um, I think the latest ZB and the Mustang updates that they've done are a lot closer to driving a real supercar, but the old one, the the V F, it was a really hard car to drive. You know, just getting it around on cold tires was a challenge. So we have to, whilst we want to have fun with these guys, we have to give them a bit of time to practice and get up to speed and know how challenging it can be.
0: Yeah, and I think some of those technical problems, um, I, I think, I don't know my face was showing, but I was wincing throughout that whole time because I've definitely experienced those before. Like we said pre this, you know, we had Shane Warren on the sticks playing Fortnite with his son once in, in, our, in our content creation house. We used to have him bright here and, you know, have worked with a bunch of other tech partners. And it's always so hard when they... They just don't know what's going on. And like you said, just the basic troubleshooting can cause massive issues. You know, we had a lot of talent who weren't gamers, or they were gamers, but they were used to playing on the PS4 where everything just works but what do they do when the headset doesn't work they go i've got no sound they don't they don't know the. and to us it's basics because you know been nerds for so many years just tinkering around on computers about how to go through the settings and it's probably changed the source to the monitor instead of the headphones but rightfully so they don't know that stuff and i think that's what a lot of people don't think about when they say i'm just going to get this famous person into twitch streaming like, man, it's hard because you talked about how hard it is doing the whole broadcast with a broadcast team who knows how that works. Like, imagine doing that by yourself, being the production, the host, and everything.
1: And that was one of the challenges. that We're, we're used to live television where everything runs to the second. So you say, we're going to go at 9.24. Well, at 9.24, we're going. Now, you know, you're dealing with loading servers and making sure drivers are in the session. You know, it was really, it's been really hard for us to refine and make, you know, obviously the gaming guys understand that, what, you know, when we say go it means go, that they're working to the best of their abilities with service loading and some tracks and some drivers not getting in. So, you know, that's been a challenge. And we run rehearsals on Sundays and Monday nights. Uh, for The drivers are not broadcast. Um, and it's not so, you know, it, it's not so that the drivers learn the tracks or get more miles. It's so they become familiar with what service to get out of to get into the next one because, obviously, when we jump tracks and we jump, qualifying to race, they have to get out of one server, refresh, get into the next server, and do it quickly and do it on time to fit in the window that we want for the broadcast. So, you know, there's been a big education process, I've got to say, um, but all the drivers have been amazing. I mean, there's been amazing feedback. Um, they've all been really proactive about trying to make sure that the series is improved and that, you know, um, they're, they're pretty positive. And it's pretty safe to say that these guys are doing more work now during this period than when they're racing because they're just doing so many miles you know we're, we're down to one track for spa on uh, tomorrow night and, and there was twofold for that one of them is the spa the, the circuit seven kilometers long so it was a two minute 20 lap so it's like well let's let's stay in the same venue like we did at bathurst because that worked well but the other thing is when you give two tracks for every driver to learn each week they've got to do a lot of laps to get up to speed and so it's a huge amount of work and and the drivers have been brilliant just you know putting in the yards and making sure that it all works
0: what's the what's the feedback from the fans been like like there's a we we talked a little bit about this before we went live and i just want to explain for anyone listening you know like the Essendon bombers an afl team because a lot of our audience is from america um, purchased an esports team a few years ago in in league of legends and you know i was scouring a lot of the feedback on twitter from people when they announced it and i and i think rightfully so that you know some of the fans are a bit miffed because they said look as much as i don't follow you guys for swimming and tennis i also don't follow you for league of legends and i'm not interested in that understanding that you guys are doing a bit more of a one-to-one you know supercars and with iRacing racing using the same type of cars the same type of tracks but i'm really interested to see what's the feedback from the fans been like have they enjoyed it because they're simply just some content because they've got nothing else to watch or or um you know are they really waiting for you guys to get back on track and, and can anything esports I think it's
1: twofold. I think, um, you know, people have been starved for sport and, and, you know, I saw a quote from a a journalist, a newspaper journalist, I'm I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, and after the first one we ran, he said, it's not quite sport but it'll do. I think there was a big big portion of people that were like, thank God we're just seeing some form of competition. Um, But to your point about League of Legends versus what we're doing, it is a one-for-one, you know, it's the drivers in the cars um at the tracks in some cases Philippon and Bathurst and more so you know it is it is a genuine representation of um of our sport you know and, and so i think not only have the existing fans embraced it we've actually i think gained some new ones because people have gone hey this is pretty cool you know there is some really close racing um we have the benefit of seeing the actual driver's face. I mean, normally we're taking in-car shots in a helmet. You're seeing them work and you're, you're recognising the personality. We have such great access to them, being able to just get straight to the end of the race and talk to them. You know, we're, we're hearing from more drivers. We're seeing from more drivers. So, so it's worked really well and the fans are loving it. And I, I've got to say, it surprised me how positive the feedback has been. There's still some people that just go, oh, look, I, I just can't get into it. It's not real. Um, which is fair enough. That's that's their perspective. The truth is, it is to me. It is real. You know, like the drivers are really having to work hard to get the pace out of these cars, and that's why, you know, the ones that are good at it are winning, and the ones that just, you know, haven't had a lot of miles in the seat or aren't that fantastic at it we're seeing them struggle and that makes it a genuine competition where you have to have ability you have to put the miles in and you have to be good at it to get results it's not a game it's not an arcade so to me that's a competition that's sport and um and i think those that are watching it recognize it and are enjoying it
0: that's really it's a really interesting question that just came up from those comments Are, are you seeing that the pack be fairly similar of, of you know, people polling similar than what they would in the physical world?
1: Uh, look, there's definitely some standouts. Shane
0: MacGisberg
1: and Scott McLaughlin, Anton De Pasquale are, are certainly the, you know, the stars of the show. They're the guys that are constantly doing well. Like, you know, they often have a few issues here and there. Um, one of the things that we're delivering in this uh, championship is... Um, some good races to ensure that the guys at the back are getting some time at the front, an opportunity to win, some exposure. You wouldn't do that. I mean, it has been done in the past in real supercar racing, but we don't do it because it creates issues and damage and it's expensive. But um, even the good guys that start at the back are finding their way through and, and getting towards the front. So there is a couple of standouts. Um, and, of course, we've we've um, introduced Wildcards, which is, you know, the best E-series e in I racing. Uh, competitors from, from around the world and we've been lucky enough to have Max Verstappen who's a gun and showed it. You know, he ran at the front. I think he got three podiums and a second place. And we're gonna have Lando Norris tomorrow night and and in some future rounds. And Lando's probably considered one of the best I races in the world. He's won the IndyCar I race and the Formula One um, E series race over there. So, you know, the guys that are good at it are going to go to the front. The trick for us is making sure that you know that we're supporting the guys at the back that we're giving them coaching that we're putting you know proper gaming people with them if needed or giving them advice so they can get up to speed and, and you know and be competitive
0: Mm. And I think another important thing you mentioned too, I, I did a quick video on my LinkedIn about this, and it had like a sensational headline of, I really miss MMA. You know, I'm a bit of an MMA fan. I do jiu-jitsu and, you know, watch a bit of UFC. And, you know, we're, we're putting together something in the back end with, with Baseball Australia and I talked to many other sports, you know, like you guys have about creating that content. Because for a long time, I just fell out of MMA Entirely, because I wasn't seeing any of that live content. And I think I got so used to having um, a UFC fight on every weekend or every second weekend that I just got used to that content. And then when it disappeared, I became a bit lost. I stopped watching the YouTube videos of fighters. I stopped listening to the podcasts. I stopped checking the social media feeds and just fell entirely out of that whole ecosystem, which is scary because... Um, you know it's, it's hard we all know it's hard to get someone back when they fall out of that so it makes sense to me for you guys that you know to continue that content using the same drivers like you said with the same sponsors and i think that's another important one too is that you know we've seen a lot of sports who've just said well our policy is to do nothing a- across the whole coronavirus six months and that seems a bit dangerous to me when you're thinking about broadcasting partners thinking about commercial partners you guys are quite forward thinking have have other sports come to you guys for some advice and, and for some support
1: yeah, we've been approached by uh, by other codes. Uh, well, Sean Seaman, the CEO, has, and, 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 you know, it's one of the reasons why we're doing this celebrity event um, is just to, you know, incorporate our, our other friends in, in Australian sport where we can. Um, like I said at the start, we're, we're just really lucky that, that we have got the platform where it is is a genuine one for one on what we do. You know, like um mm. AFL and NRL, but I, I mean, I don't think they've got, a game or a solution what the, they can do what they do so you know we are really blessed to be able to do it um, you know and to your point about exposure w- we are benefiting from regularity every Wednesday night you know the E-Series every Monday night sidetracked we're actually making a lot more content and regular content than in a traditional championship um, season yeah. so it's a bit of a lesson for us it's one of the things that I you know that we're going to talk about whether we continue I mean I, don't expect to see the All-Star E-Series continue with this sort of regularity, but will we do another All-Star season or a short one somewhere later on? These are all the things that have been talked about at the moment. I'd like to think that Sidetracked will continue, which is another weekly show that we're doing with our partners at Fox. Um, you know, because that was developed, obviously, to just keep talking about the sport and stay on television. That seems to be working well. So, And the other thing that we were really fortunate is we've had a um, – documentary series that we filmed last year with Erebus and it was due to be released before the season started and we had a few delays with production and then the, this COVID situation hit us and then we had an eight part one hour documentary series to, to be released so we've been really fortunate to have a big slab of content that we can just keep rolling out but I think the star of the show has been the E-series and I think it's because it's it's proper racing proper competition and it's a bit of fun too, you know, some of the crashes are pretty crazy
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw some of the uh, had some extended family members tag me in that on Facebook. Actually, I saw some videos hit hit pretty well, hit some pretty big numbers. And you're definitely right in saying the amount of content that can be produced. I I featured on a on a podcast called Breaking Late, which is primarily around supercars, and that was one of their main comments as well. You know, and I, and I went and looked up the regular supercar season, and you know sometimes there's a month when you send you know you don't have a race on. But now you can do it every single week. You know, it doesn't require that physicality of shipping everything over over, you know, over the ocean sometimes if you go down to Tasmania, down to Launceston, and you know, it enables you to just jump on and, and play any time and create all this extra content. And it's provides you with an alternative revenue stream, like you said as well. Something else to sell and you know, a digital scalable asset.
1: Yeah, and we have to remember too that we are still going to run our traditional E-Series competition later in the year, so when we get going, I mean, first of all, there's no substitute for the real thing. It's as much great as E-Series is, and I love it. Um, You know, there's no substitute for a 650-horsepower supercar doing 300 kilometres an hour at Bathurst. That's the the shit, you know, that's the stuff. But, um, you know, we, we will still do our traditional... Gaming gamer expert based e series, which we're going to run later on in the in the year, and and that'll that'll happen. Um, but you know, it's been a really good exercise for us. It's been a it's been a learning curve. It's been a lot of work. Um, and you know, I, I I said at the very start quite arrogantly that I wanted it to be the best um, i racing product in the world, and it was more because I wanted it to be a broadcast, not a game show. And and I and I, I think it's bearing fruit. I think it's
0: going well. Mm. And, and I think a really important thing that you said that I've talked about so many times and try to educate people on is that this is in no way ever a replacement for the traditional sport. And it also doesn't have to be thought about a super professional esport. It can be thought more about as your traditional product or as a side marketing tool and fan engagement exercise. I think like one obvious thing, you know, when a lot of sports come and talk to me or sports teams, you know, they say, hey, we want to do something. We don't have enough money to buy an esports team. And we don't have enough money to make a $3 million tournament. And I so sometimes it's just about doing like these fan engagement activities or these celebrity engagement activities, like you said. You know, what? bring back the Nintendo 64 at halftime at the soccer. You know, you don't see things like that much anymore. You know, get some influencers to create some content with some of your drivers or players or, you know, golfers or someone like that you're working with. It doesn't necessarily have to be whole hog. And, and I think that, you know... And it's and it's one thing that's happened with every single um, racing sim racing person I've talked to so far. You know Jamie McLaurin from Veloci, who's responsible or part of the the F one stuff uh, with Veloci Esports. You know, talking um, to some of the the Aussie guys as well. You know, they they all say the same thing that racing and and sim racing is a very much one-to-one. Like you were saying, it's very hard. Uh, The the best um, drivers often come out on top, and it's very exciting, but it's never going to be a replacement for the physical thing, and it's always an addition, not a replacement to what the traditional product is.
1: Yeah, that's right, and that's the core of what we do. And, you know, obviously, like every other sport, we're we're trying to put a plan together to go racing again very soon. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, the trick for me... and and it's sort of coming soon is, okay, so what happens when we get that overlap? So we're we're planning to come back, yet we're running towards the end of our iRacing because everyone's going to get really busy. Do you know what I mean? So drivers, teams, Mm -hmm. everyone, they're all going to get super, super busy. We've already seen that with availability from some of the F1 guys, Uh, like Lando, for example, who's, like I said, racing with us tomorrow night. I know that his calendar – and his schedule has tightened right up now that Formula One have sent a date, and I think we're going to see a similar thing with that with our guys. You know that they're going to become quite busy in the planning and the and the so forth for when we really go racing. A lot of them, from a health and fitness perspective, have stayed quite active, which has been really good. So I think that's not going to be the issue. It's just going to be okay. When we started to uh, uh, allow as we go out more and do more activations, you know, what will the drivers have to do commercially? with that sort of thing so you know that that's that's something that we have to work on plus we also have to start planning for the real broadcast and what our revised calendar may look like and and you know where we go so you know it's going to be it's going to be a busy sort of end to our our season but i i I think a lot of guys have invested a lot of time and money into making this work so i i can see us doing a, a little bit more of this down the track i would think
0: yeah, and that's—I mean—that's a perfect segue into the next question, which is, you know, what does what does your esports product look like, you know, post coronavirus? Do you see some of your traditional drivers staying, you know, in the, in the kind of e-racing series, um, or you're going to go back to business as usual as it was in, say, 2018, 2019?
1: Look, I think we need to get together as a team and work out what we want to what we want to do with it. I, I reckon it's been successful. Um, you know, obviously the television ratings have been good. You know, the web stream numbers have been phenomenal. The Verstappen round did. I oh, lost all my checks, which was the day after it ran, was 650,000 streams or something on Facebook. So it was, you know, it, it went very well. Um, like I said, it was, uh, a little while ago, we're definitely going to run our traditional E-series thing. But then it begs the question, well, now that our guys have had a few miles in the series, I and mean, they have certainly got some good, um, good races, do we introduce wild cards into that championship? And do we um, deliver... You know, do, do we put some of those guys into it? So these are all the sorts of things that we, we have to work out. I think um, a lot of the drivers have found it a useful learning tool that, um, you know, they actually are enjoying, you know, the the skill required to get a fast lap in in iRacing is the same sort of philosophy to get a fast lap in a race car. Not that I'm a race car driver, but, you know, that's the feedback we're getting. Um, so, you know, I, I think what's the future look like? Well... We always found it, or I at least found it, really hard to work out what the value of it was. You know, like yes, it's a, it's a, uh, it's certainly a younger um, audience, and and as I said before, that's worked for us. We've we've got a younger audience out of this. But I was like, but how does it work? You know, what's the future of iRacing? Is it a fa- sorry e Is it, is it a fad? And I think if we've we've just stuck to the core of what it is that we do, which is go racing, and and you know, and get our guys to compete against each other or provide good racing if if we're delivering that which is what we try to deliver in the main series which is a close competition then you know the fans will come and watch it
0: yeah and it's it's all about you know like you said it's all about playing to your strengths and some of my my talks in the past with people at the nbl you know really like the way that they that they approach the space which is what do we do really well and how can we do that in esports You know, is that a one-to-one? Obviously, the MBL is fantastic at, you know, the current management at turning around a product that was on its last legs and they're really good at commercialization and content and building – um, local community-engaged audiences. And that's that's what I talked to them about. I was like, literally just take those things. And that would make sense to me as to why the Bombers or Adelaide Crows might want to buy an esports team because that's what they know. They know teams. And, you know, people are attracted to what they do. There's There's been a lot of discussion around um, sim racing being used as a pathway to professional. Obviously, we've seen... Um, people uh like james baldwin do the world's fastest gamer you know he won a a million dollar real life mclaren racing contracts by winning a um, sim racing and and virtual product and as far as i understand he's only really had physical experience in karting before so nothing to the level of what he's doing is that a possibility for you guys or is that more up to the teams in the future to maybe use sim racing as a way to get some more kids through the sport rather than having to spend so much money on karting
1: Oh, 100%. Like, Erebus have just launched a, a series, I think it was yesterday, where they're um, running a junior development iRacing um, uh, series where I think it's capped from 13 to, I'm going to say, 17. I, I, I okay. probably should know, and apologies, Paul Thompson, for not getting the facts right if I got it wrong, but they're running a junior series, which um, is actually the prizes offering a test in a toyota 86 at normal with paul morris so 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 there's already people already thinking about that and there's no doubt that if you've got the skills required to to race in i-racing and 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 deliver a decent lap time and that then you've got the feel and the you know the pedal control and the wheel control to to drive a real race car it's just getting them early enough before they get bad habits and um and getting into race cars so it's it's definitely a pathway
0: yeah, and that was one of the most exciting things that I never, never thought about before. You know, before my last chat with with Jamie from Veloci was about the the extra pool of people that this now opens it up to. You know, you no longer have to have enough money or be within that family circle to have that history. Say like yourself, you know, with the physicality of the drag racing and the ability to move over to Sydney, you don't need that. You can start off literally with Forza and a controller and then you can move your way up from there. As long as you can understand more than me about how to pick your lines, about when to break and these kind of basics, if you can start learning those from really early. And you see this in general esports now with kids who are I mean, I've I've got um uh, someone I'm doing some content with soon is like a five-year-old kid in war zone in call of duty who got a 12 kill win and he, he was playing uh-huh. with members from phase and things like that too and you know the the motor skills and stuff that's required to do that like there's no way I could do that at four I could barely do that at 11 let alone like you know I remember watching my friend's little brother um try to play quake and he couldn't do WSD and move the mouse at the same time at like 11 years old. And now kids who are 5 are doing target prioritization, they know what weapons they choose, they know what game modes are their favorite. They're communicating while they're aiming, they're running around, they're picking up items and all this kind of stuff too. It's like the development just comes so much earlier. And like Jamie was saying, you know, karting has become prohibitively expensive for a lot of people too. That you know, a sim wheel, like a Logitech one you said, in Australia, you can pick one up for, you know, 150 bucks second hand off Gumtree. You can plug it into a PS Four, which you know I bought one second hand for like one hundred and fifty bucks off Gumtree, and away you go. You are good to go. You've got the same setup that Lando Norris is, or a similar setup to what Lando Norris is using online.
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with saying I um I don't play Call of Duty anymore because as soon as the campaign's over, I go online, I get smoked in about ten seconds. So I just <laughs> respawn, get smoked, respawn, get smoked. So I don't play Call of Duty anymore for that reason. Yeah, but when it comes to um, sim racing, you are dead right. Look, motorsports expensive. So it is nice that that people have an avenue to get in and work out whether they like it or they've got, um, you know, the skill set required to do it. And, you know, it's funny. It's like I've got I got two kids. I've got a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. And, and the son, the older one, you put him in the sim and just, you know, love him to death, but it's not his forte. My daughter, she's naturally got opposite lock and sort of has the feel so to, to put them in a safe environment and a cost you know cost effective environment to find out what they like is a really good way to start and then if they want to go more then they go to their local indoor karting track and then they go to the real karting and then and then go from there so you know it i've never thought of it necessarily so grassroots but you're dead right it is it hopefully this will inspire more people to go out and pick it up and it's definitely inspired the motor racing community to go get Sims. I I think my social media feed is full of people celebrating the australia Postman who's delivered their latest Fanatech wheel or their latest whatever. Everyone has decided to go build and buy Sims. You know, Rick Kelly home built his own simulator and, you know, people have taken that model and, and they've built it out of wood or they've welded it up. So there is but has been an explosion of this and that's great for the sport. That's great for supercars because the more people that get a understanding of how hard these cars are to drive and then have an appreciation for it you know that's that's great for us it's it's one of the things you know 20, 30 years ago, the car was, you know, you worked on it yourself, you know, you're really passionate about it. They had unique characteristics, you know. You know they all didn't handle the same. Nowadays, cars are so good and so um, generic that basically anyone gets in, they're all like giant golf carts. And I think because of that, people have lost a little bit of emotion and passion as to what it takes to drive a car, you know what I mean? It doesn't have any unique characteristics. It doesn't sound great. There are a few exceptions. So I I think because of that, a lot of people don't necessarily understand the challenges and the emotion behind driving, um, you know, driving a car. So getting people into sims, getting people driving race cars more, understanding that, you know, you go deep on the brakes, you've got to find an apex. All of that's going to help the appreciation of real motorsport down the track.
0: Mm, yeah, I think there's two things to pull from that. Number one is uh, really appreciate people building their own sims. I was four yeah. years old growing up in Tasmania, and one of the first games I ever played was Formula One on the Four Eight Six. My dad made his own pedals out of um, remote control airplane servos and his own uh, oh, wow. steering steering wheel as well. That was kind of, was more like a fighter jet or uh, you know like the like the W, uh, but we also use it in Formula One as well. And got lots of lots of good memories from. From driving that around at four years old on a little plastic chair in the in the mm-hmm. kitchen but the other um the other interesting thing too I can't say because I just completely lost my train of thought <laughs> getting, getting, too back, right. getting too far back getting too far back was but, a long answer
1: so it was like a 3 minute answer
0: <laughs> that is okay that is okay but but yeah I think yeah I think the pathways are an extremely important thing oh that's right you're talking about the characteristics so the other the other thing that's really exciting to me about esports that I explain day in, day out to, to VCs and different companies wanting to get into the space, is the participatory nature of esports is so different to traditional sports. And I always use my girlfriend's family as an example, and she always gives me shit when I do. But they're massive AFL fans, been Sydney Swans fans since the Sydney Swans were in Melbourne um, for generation on generation. None of them play football. They always do when they're in school, and that's it. The the last, the only time they ever kick a footy is usually like the last grand finals because it was crap and we all got bored. So we went and kicked a footy at an oval. They don't play any casually, nothing, but they know everything. They know who's injured. They know who's on the bench. They know what the strategy should be. They know who the draft should be. So they're really in it that way. Whereas esports, what you see is, you know, we're in partnership with Playside Studios, Australia's largest independent game and app development company. And they have 70 staff, predominantly gamers. They work on making games that make sense. When the Intel Extreme Masters for Counter-Strike comes up, you look around the office at lunchtime, everybody's playing CSGO. When PUBG play on the battlegrounds is a big thing, you look around the office, everyone's playing PUBG. They all switch to CSGO when that's happening, and then when the Intel Extreme Masters finishes, they move on to something else. When the Dota 2 International was on, they're all playing Dota 2. When the League of Legends World Championship Series is on, they're all playing that. And I think that's like a big difference. You know, when, when I'm watching these tournaments, like the International Dota 2 in, in 2013 or 2014, TI3 or 4, that made me start playing Dota because I saw that whole thing. And I was like, wow, I could be like that. I want to be able to do that. And it's achievable. You don't need to have all of this money to start karting. You don't need to have the skills and experience to be like, I've been playing soccer or football since I was six, and now I'm 25 and I'm finally a pro. You can jump in it at 17 years old. You just need a basic PC and then off you go. You can can be part of that ecosystem. And there's some games even like StarCraft 2 where you can watch a demo and then you can actually take off from exactly that one save point. So you could be watching a replay from someone doing amazing in a multiplayer game. And then you can actually take over from that and you can pretend that you are that person like every kid does when they're on the soccer field and they pretend they're in front of a massive crowd and they're kicking a goal and they're, they're doing the crowd noises in their head. You can, you can actually do that now in a video game.
1: Yeah, well, I think, I think it's a, a good point that's worth mentioning is, you know, we're having people watch this E-series and, you know, oh, I want to get to racing or I want to drive a supercar. You get the platform, you don't just have to drive the supercar. You know like there's a lot of cool fun cars in in the platforms that are good to drive i mean the yeah. as you get your license and come up through iRacing, racing you can only start certain cars you know and you can test the bigger cars you can't race them i still haven't got a big enough license to race a supercar in in, in i-racing and, but there's a master mx5s which are fantastic fun and i know the supercars yeah. guys will jump in and do mx5 races or there's the stadium trucks and stuff like that which you know, Anton right. De Pasquale and Will Brown and, and a couple of the other guys, Shane Van Gisbergen and Scott Pye, they were all on that the other night. Um, so there is all different other cars you can drive and you can work out what you like and, you know, where your fun and your ability is at as well. So, you know, um, we're inspiring people to go, geez, oh, that looks like fun, I want to do that. They don't have to race a supercar, they can race whatever they want and then work up to a supercar. That said, supercar's the fun car to drive on the platform, that's for sure
0: yeah exactly yeah and i think um you know like you were saying about bringing back the personality to it as well and i and i wish i remembered who i was talking to it might have been jamie from velocchio it might have been one of the aussie guys that was saying that they love that there's no helmet like you were saying there's no noise of the car because the personality of the drivers come out so much more they're talking banter between each other they're able to look at the camera and discuss things a lot more because a they don't have the fear of death and crashing into a wall but b you know they've, they've got that availability like you were saying and that's that's a conversation i have so much with um say movie stars versus influencers these days the the allure of Hugh Jackman is he comes out once a year he does a cool movie he goes off into wherever he lives into the ether and you never hear about him till he comes out again he's untouchable he's amazing but now influencers they're the they're the opposite you know we've done some work in the past with jade um who jade can dance who's a tiktok celebrity she's got 1.2 1.3 million followers she does 3 to 4 videos a day she live streams once to twice a day she's on linkedin she's on twitter she's on youtube um and she's on instagram and she's always posting because people want to see what she's doing all the time they want to ask her questions they want her to answer they want her to be the face of herself and what she's doing you know they want to be able to donate and then she'll reply to them and say thank you nathan so much for donating to me um and you know maybe Strike up a conversation people send her messages to reply and post screenshots of hey i've been talking to this fan and things like that too and i think that's that's part of the transition that you're seeing now as well with so many sports having people start to stream there's a whole bunch of usc fighters are streaming now there's mlb players there's nfl players and such and they're starting to bring out those personalities because no longer are they that untouchable on the podium people want someone they can relate to and they can talk to
1: yeah, I think the word you use there is accessibility. And, um, you know, aside from the broadcast where we're obviously packaging it all up and showing the the racing and in- cutting all the individual in cars and the driver shots, all the drivers, well, a big portion of the drivers are doing their individual Twitch feeds, you know, which is them talking mm-hmm. to their spotter with their face shots and their foot shots. and And okay. they're also getting all the Twitch feedback and they're interacting directly. And I know... You know, people like Scott McLaughlin, Scott Pye do it a lot, where they will dial up for practice, you know, and they'll they'll integrate, they'll talk, they'll read the feedback as they're doing laps, and they'll talk to them. And I think, I think that's the the future of of broadcasting or television or streaming or whatever you want to call it, that where where the average show can interact with their fan, sorry, their favorite racer, and can ask them questions, and they they interact immediately. You know what I mean? They can post comments, you know. I know Scott has to filter some people out there. You know, the world's full of dickheads occasionally, but, you know, mm. just the ability to be able to chat to these people, ask them questions, you know, that's unique. You can't do that in a traditional broadcast. So that's been a really big and interesting side that's come, come to us um, through this platform as well.
0: And how does, how does the team work physically? Do they still have engineers that are on hand that are monitoring the car? Do they still have some form of pit crew? How does that work when they're racing?
1: Look, we wanted to make sure that it was down to the driver's ability, excuse me, as opposed to set up. So iRacing has huge ability to set up the cars. um, And, you know, if you're good at it, you get a really good car. If you're not so good at it, your car's not that great. So Brody Kostecki, who's um, a gun in iRacing and works with the iRacing development team directly and is also a Super 2 Supercars driver, we engaged him at the start of the process to develop a fixed setup. So, every race we go to, it's the same fixed lock setup for every car and every driver. So, they're all driving the same thing. So, he, he does the development setup on that before every racetrack we go to. We send it out to the teams. And then, when we build the league, the setup's embedded into the league so that when you jump into the session, the car's all ready to go. Um, so, that's been important to make sure everyone's got equal play. But um, every driver has a spotter. Mm -hmm. And those spotters can help them with, if there's a fuel race, which we don't have many of them, they'll help them with how much fuel they they need to take on. Now, the guns like Scott and Shane and, um, you know, Anton, they can do a lot of that themselves, but some of the less experienced guys need help with, oh, how much fuel do I need to take on to to get to the end of the race? So the spotters help them with that. They help guide them to do, um, you know, just basic awareness of what's happened in the race and so forth and the engineers are working with the drivers on how to get the most out of their driving style so talk to them about you know when to pit Mm. you know who to try to jump that sort of thing but but they're not actually setting up the car or tuning the, the the speed of the car they're just more you know coach coach style
0: yeah okay and and is that how you see it you know, happening in the future. Do you think that you know, if you continue to develop this, will you allow people to have free reign and they'll have full engineers and pit crews that'll work with them?
1: Ah, uh, not a, not. I don't think so. Because then you then you're creating variables and you're not giving everyone an equal playing field. I think what's great about this series is it's the same for everyone. You know, mm. yes, there's a Ford Mustang and there's a B Commodore, but the setup is the same. It's it's the same car. So standard driver ability. So. I don't think I'd want to open up setups and adjustments and stuff like that. I just think you'll create a bit of a nightmare for yourself.
0: Am I right in thinking that that's that that's basically how the traditional supercars thing operates? You've got certain parameters that you and certain things you can and can't do with your cars, and that's like you were saying they're all fairly they're all fairly dialed in and, and you know generic, like you said, and, and fairly similar setups in the real life racing.
1: Oh, look, there is a, a lot more variety and adjustability in the real life setups. I mean, um, it's a, it's a big talking point is about the parity between the different cars and different teams, and and you know, supercars is putting a lot of things into place to ensure that everyone has similar equipment and you know similar level and ability to to win the race but there are some teams that you know um have a bit more experience in certain areas or have a better understanding of of setup or suspension or shocks and springs or or whatever so there is a lot more adjustability and a lot bigger area and window for adjustment and difference between what each team delivers in the real championship, um, and that's part of motor racing. I mean, that's one of the things. It's good engineers to set up your car right and work with your driver to make sure it does what your driver wants to do. But I don't think we can put that into the E-Series world. And, you know, one of the things that that came up right at the start of the the process was wheel parity. So there is a difference between, you know, hardware. You might have some guys with $80,000 SIM and one guy with a $1,000 SIM, like you mentioned. We couldn't, we weren't going to get into that. We, we just couldn't prioritize, people have individual deals, people have, you know, setups. We, we couldn't dictate to someone, you must run a Logitech wheel. You're not allowed to run that Simworks wheel. We weren't going to do that. You know, it came down to driver ability and what they had and, and, and doing the best, best job they possibly can. So, you know, there, that was something that came up, but we weren't in the position to shut that down
0: yeah that's interesting points and that's a discussion that comes up sometimes in the traditional esports market you know having a better quality monitor versus a worse and you know that's been a major player in the past say in australia with uh you know a lot of our internet cafes in the past have had fairly low quality equipment so the people who are used to playing on low quality equipment when they go to the internet cafe have an advantage and you know back in 2012, 2011, I managed a um, New Zealand Counter-Strike team It was probably ranked 13th in in Australia and New Zealand, but they managed to take third quite comfortably in the competition because of that exact reason. They're used to playing on small 19-inch, 60-hertz monitors. They're used to playing at awkward desk sizes with small mouse pad room and not much space, and they're used to being loud and proud and in charge when they're in person. That was a massive advantage for them coming to this LAN party where people are used to their $5,000 PC with a nice 27-inch, 144-hertz monitor, and they're not as comfortable mm-hmm. in that uncomfortable environment. So that that makes perfect sense. So some of the things you've said um, so far, I guess, just to do a bit of a a bit of a recap for anyone listening as, as we're kind of coming to the end of the show is that you know with with all of your drivers going from the physical to the online nature there's been some great feedback from the drivers great buy-in obviously from them and some internationals there's been um some great feedback from the fans as well both traditional and new fans and, and younger audiences come in what about feedback from the commercial partners you said that they were interested at the start um what, what's their feedback been now that you're a few weeks into this e-series and have kind of moved them from the traditional fox broadcast to the e fox broadcast
1: Look, I don't want to talk directly for the, the partnerships team, but my understanding is it's been extremely positive. I mean, we are delivering content, we're putting logos on screen regularly each week where you know other people can't. So, so yes, they're 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 pleased. We're always working with our partners to ensure that they're getting you know what they want out of the broadcast, and we've made some small adjustments along the way to ensure a bit more exposure or to to update the graphics package. So, yeah, it's it's been really really positive so far.
0: Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well. What's what's coming up in the short term for you guys? You said you've got another race uh, tomorrow night on Wednesday. Are you time? Yeah,
1: yeah. Tomorrow night we've got uh, we're going to Spa um, in Belgium. So we've got thirty cars, five, uh, 25 regular championship drivers, five wildcards. So we have Lando Norris. Um, we have uh, James Courtney's coming back. There is two Super Two drivers. Uh, from our junior ranks, and uh, son of a gun, Jack Doohan, uh, Red Bull junior driver, is joining us. So that's exciting. Um, Single race track, three races, a shorter 20-minute race, followed by a reverse grid, followed by a longer 30-minute race for the two-hour broadcast. So that's good. And their exclusive Fox & Sky New Zealand qualifying um, show in the hour lead-up will have a top-10 shootout, and that worked really well at Bathurst. So we're, we're keen to see how that goes. Um, in the weeks ahead, we've got a couple uh, more big uh, uh, wildcard names to announce and um, we are going to be running a celebrity race. So we're just finalising the date. It was going to be um, next Tuesday, but we just need a little bit more time to get some of these celebs up to speed into the system and just get all their platforms and stuff sorted out. So so that'll just probably have a small delay on it, but um, we're looking to, to run a cross-code slash celebrity race. So AFL players... Um, NRL players, All Blacks, cricketers, um, former world champions in certain categories, team owners, television commentators, uh, you name it. There's about 16 names on the list at the moment. And, um, yeah. and you know, surfers, it's going to be really fun. And that, that's just a fun night. You know, that's just a chance for everyone to get together, talk to each other and, and uh, have a blast around Mount Panorama because we're going to go to Bathurst because who doesn't want to race at Bathurst?
0: Yeah, exactly. And if someone wants to follow you or, or, or find the Supercars content online, where can they do so?
1: Oh, obviously, we've got our Supercars um, website, all our social medias, Twitter, um, Instagram, um, Facebook. You know, I'm on all the same ones. But, uh, yeah, that's just search our names. We're there.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today, mate.
1: Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time.
0: And thanks to everyone who's listening in, whether it's the Audio Only Podcast, live on Twitch, LinkedIn or back to the video only format we've got plenty more of these uh, pieces of content coming out we've got a twitch exclusive content coming out in a couple of days that will be announced tomorrow for anyone who's watching live otherwise tune in every monday for the audio only version of the podcast to come out thanks for listening everyone bye for now thanks for tuning into our podcast today for show notes relevant links and upcoming projects you can check us out online at BigEsports.gg or follow us on our social medias at big underscore gg